Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's business soup. I'm your host, John Dibbavoise. Today, we're going to be talking about the three letters. Actually, it's one, but it spells out net, net, net. Oh, yes, the golden words of a triple net lease. Most of us who have businesses have been the payer on a triple net lease. Today, we're bringing in Paul Bonanno. He is the president of Net Lease Realty Partners. We're going to be talking about triple net leases, what it means, and what are the important questions to ask about getting one for yourself. It's leased property with investments where the tenant pays for the taxes, the liability insurance, and the maintenance, called a triple net lease. Right here, Paul Bonanno from NetLease Realty Partners, serving up the triple net on Business Soup. Paul, welcome to this serving of Business Soup. Hi, John. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Paul, your business specializes in triple net leases. Let's give us the the elevator pitch on just what does that triple net or net 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 investment properties, what does that mean to the average listener? A triple net investment property offers investors corporate-backed long-term leases with the tenant paying for the real estate taxes, the property liability and property insurance for the building and the property, and the common area maintenance that is typically associated with uh, the care and maintenance of of a, a building. And it is managed professionally by the tenant occupying the building like they own it. Although you have the benefits of the income stream and the reduced management. So they work excellent for a passive investment to people that are looking for either a trade property or to reinvest from a management intensive property like an apartment building or multi-tenant industrial or or retail. And uh, the returns often are very similar once you take out the leakage or the expenses that come out of managed properties. And they offer investors the freedom of not having to pay attention to what goes on day to day. Uh, You don't get the leaky roof or the van parked behind the building call uh, when you're out going to play golf or headed out on a holiday. And there is a market out there that people often don't realize nationally where people can trade in and out of properties in other markets that are that have high growth rates and good opportunities and, and better yields. And because of the nature of the lease, people are able to own them outside of their own backyard or, or out of an area that maybe they live in and gives them a better opportunity to succeed as an investor. As to comparison properties, many of us who have our own businesses, we will have rentals, whether they be single family detached or multi-unit apartment buildings of any size. The difference between a triple net lease and say a fourplex or maybe a 20 or 100 unit complex reflects what type of management level? As you take on more tenants, there's more accounting that occurs with it. There's more rent collections. There's more opportunity for things to happen in terms of damage to a building or nuances that happen in interacting with the tenants. 
effects that happen that you may not be able to predict. People lose their job or get divorced or get sick and are unable to pay their rent. Well, sure. And that would be in any multifamily unit that you're managing and such. But in a triple net, if I own a standalone triple net property, it could be one unit or it could be, say, a small strip mall. Those properties are under a triple net. Can I have triple nets in multiple units and also have a double net or can I manage one or do they all have to be triple nets? Typically, you would want to have a similar lease form so that as a property owner or manager, you would have the similarities within different leases so that you're not catering to one or the other. Oftentimes, the tenants will talk and you know, you'll end up with them asking you questions about someone else's lease or management. Or if you have one that's responsible and the one that is not responsible, oftentimes you have one that doesn't want to pay. And so (laughs) when you're in those situations, I think it's best to try to use the same form, but it is possible. And, you know, we have worked on and sold and and managed properties for clients that had multiple units in there with triple net leases. And in the retail arena specifically, uh, you have a lot of what they call double net leases. A double net lease is where the tenant does manage and pay for routine common area maintenance, but they don't pay for replacement. So they'll cover the insurance and the real estate taxes, but they will not cover the roof or the structure of the facility. And oftentimes that'll include parking lots and plumbing and electrical. And those are less common expenses over the ownership, the roof is probably the most common cost out of all those expenses, but it can be costly. And if you properly manage a building and, and maintain a roof, then you can mitigate some of those costs. But ultimately, you are going to have some responsibilities as a landlord when you have multiple tenants in there as a result of that. You will have collections of expenses. If they're reimbursing you for routine maintenance, you still have to go get the money from them. Sure. You have to do a reconciliation. And so it just becomes a little bit more involved, even if the tenant is paying for some of those expenses. When you have multiple tenants in place, you're, you're having to pay attention to the nuances between the different tenants and the collection of those expenses when they come in. Well, certainly no two tenants are alike unless you have a chain of companies, whether it be like a Dunkin' Donuts or Dollar General or something like that. But a lot of times you're not dealing with the major corporations in leasing of the property. How do you qualify these people when they come in and they say they want to rent your property? Typically, they are being represented by an agent or brokerage like yourself. As an owner or as someone who owns this property, what should I be looking for in this tenant? That's an excellent question. When you are evaluating a tenant, and the tenant's ability to pay their lease obligations. You want to make sure that they have a good credit rating if one is available. Not everybody has a credit rating. Oftentimes you have to pay to get the credit rating. And as a result, you have to look a little deeper uh, in terms of what kind of business they're in. And does that business have longevity? Do they have management experience? Uh, You know, how long has the business been operating? and what kind of cash flow sales that they may have. Obviously, there are some single unit operators out there that do very well. And I think that lends to their experience and their business at a particular location. So I think it's a combination of their business, their management experience, and their credit or their ability to pay 
their obligations under the lease terms. You're taking a look at what kind of cash flows that they have, what kind of sales that they have, and evaluating the individual offer if it is individual or or okay. their chain in terms of how the other locations have done. If they if they are coming into a new location, then uh, you're going to be afforded the the ability to look at their sales at that location. But you can certainly assess their operations at their other locations and gauge whether they can afford the rent. Retailers and operators alike, you know, make where they getting enamored with the location. And oftentimes they will end up having to pay a premium for that location that doesn't necessarily uh, fit with their ability to pay their rents based on their operations. Well, location has always been first and foremost, but in that realm, does location itself cause a greater return on investment or can it force your return down? And I, I see right now that a lot of the, the market is it just exploded and the returns are running from 5 to 7%. How does the location impact the return on investment as an owner of a property? It has a couple different effects. As an owner, it, typically you're going to pay a premium for a location that is desirable because there's more for it. On the other side of that, when you go to sell it, there's going to be more demand for it because uh, people are going to find that as a, as a desirable location. So it's a double-edged sword in, in terms of you're going to pay a, a somewhat of a premium for a spot or, or for, for a site. At the same time, you probably have more people that will want that site. Well, sure. And you're going to have tenants that are going to be paying a higher price per square foot that will coincide with the valuation on the property. So, And with that location, what are you finding is a an acceptable fee schedule as well as return on investment? If I'm doing a triple net as an owner of, a, let's just say, a single unit standalone triple net, what should I be looking for as a return on my investment? As you mentioned, as a general statement, you know, returns are, are typically between five and seven percent for the, the the really premium credits in very high end areas. Sometimes are even going below five uh, percent. You know, for a McDonald's or a Chick Fil A or uh, some of the other popular high credit brands that are in high profile locations, uh, we've seen a compression in the market, especially in this economy. But what I think you need to pay attention to is, you know, you always want a location that is viable. And some of that is common sense. Is it visible? Is it accessible? Does the building function for the tenant or, or for your operations if you're the tenant? And if it answers those questions and you're in an area that has traffic, I think ultimately, if you're selling goods and services, you want to be in an area where there's people traveling past your storefront or your business so that people can come and do with you readily. The web presence and, and, and internet and all the other things, I think, are accessories to that core business where you have a location uh, out of. But when, when you're looking at it, really depends. Some operators will be able to afford a higher rent because the volumes of those high profile locations will be better. And if their sales are at a certain level, then it would justify a higher rent. Now, you bring up a good point. What can people afford? And I think if, if you are just trying to gauge, can I afford my business at this location? Or as an investor, do I want to own a business at this location that's paying a certain amount of rent? You have to be cognizant of what the rents are in the area and, and what that business is either doing or has done at other locations. And then see what proportionate amount of that rent is to the sales or average sales for an operator. Different operators in different segments will have 
different limitations to what they can pay percentage of sales in rent. But as a general rule, I would say that you wouldn't want to be at a rent level that is more than 10% of your gross sales. There was the number I was looking for, 10% of the gross sales there. All right. I walk in your office and I say, I want to buy a triple net investment property. What is it that you are going to do for me or anyone in your capacity should be doing for me, representing me as a buyer's agent? What should I expect from you? Would it include traffic count? Would it include all of the essentials in making the decision? Or do some people just throw me the file and say, call me if you have any questions? I take a lot of pride in the service that we provide our clients. I think it's imperative that you have a broker that is paying attention to all the aspects of a purchase, not just in the location of a property, but in the assessment of the individual. I think it's paramount to your success as an investor to identify your risk tolerance, whether you're going to use financing, how long you're going to hold the asset, and what geographic location may make sense. Because you have the ability to buy and and don't have to manage uh, properties that are in your immediate locale or proximity to where you live, that you have to have some knowledge base as to where you're investing in the market that you're investing in. So to kind of go back, when someone comes into my office, the first thing I do is I talk to them. I find out what other assets they own, who is involved in terms of the People in the family or in the company that will be utilizing the income off it, is it a a wealth preservation for a wealthy family or trust? Is it putting someone through college? Is there a minimum return requirement? Can these people afford to take a little risk? Do they need a a longer term lease? Are they looking to sell the property in the the near term? How long they hold it? would be uh, something I would need to assess. So I think getting to know the individual and then putting a property that fits their profile is a really key part of the strategizing. We do a lot of uh, exchange work, the types of debt and financing if someone wants to use a loan. In advance of a sale or or a purchase, we want to figure out what would work for these people, what will they qualify for, what would give them the flexibility. I think people are myopic or or short-sighted in their investment. When they go in, uh, they don't really see some of the potential pitfalls they may have five, seven, or eight, ten years down the road. And having the ability to sell or refinance, or the navigate through, uh, you know, the things that life bring to us uh, are important things to consider in advance of the purchase. And then finding a property that meets the other requirements just inherently doesn't have traffic. We always pull traffic. We always look at demographics. Right. We always planning department and find out what's going on around a particular asset, not just now, but what is planned in the future so that we can assess longevity and marketability of that asset later. Paul, when it comes to the lease, the the devil's in the details, what are the key points that a a owner should be looking for in the lease when they're looking to buy the property that will have a triple net lease in it? You touched on a little bit previously, when you're dealing with a McDonald's or Jack in a Box or Chick-fil-A or Walgreens or whatever the tenant might be, they often will have a form lease that they'll use nationally. But when you're dealing with regional operators or smaller operators, the leases typically will be different forms. So you have to be careful as to what goes into the provisions of a triple net lease. Um, Not all triple net leases are created equal. And some of them will have 
things like limitations to how many times a property can be conveyed before the tenant is not responsible for an increase in the taxes. You have different insurance provisions. Some will have all-inclusive risk policies. Some will not have the same amounts and, and level of insurance, quality of insurance, insurance ratings, deductibles that are required, who covers the deductible, uh, what happens in a shortfall of insurance. A lot of that comes not only into uh, play, but outside of the economics and cost, but the onus uh, that comes on to the landlord in terms of what they have to do is their reconciliations or collections, uh, do they pay the taxes and get reimbursed? So I think the preference in the market is to have a lease where the tenant handles all of those things in any event, whether there's a hurricane or a fire or a flood, the tenant's responsible. Uh, rent abatement, you know, things, if things do happen, acts of God, COVID, things that we're seeing that are prevalent in our world today, oftentimes some of these leases will have provisions that allow the tenant to defer rent or abate rent. So that would be something you'd want to know as an owner. Uh, the preference for me as a broker is to find something where there is no rent abatement, that the insurance and the tax provisions are all inclusive, and um, that avoids some headaches and pitfalls that you may realize later. But in each of the net leased provisions in terms of what each end represents and the expense associated with it would be variations of how strong that language is. Also, the economics in terms of how the, the rental structure is, is in terms of increases, the amount and frequency of increases, and uh, the term of the lease also come into play. So there, there's, a, there's various factors. And even within the same tenancy, sometimes you'll have leases that were negotiated by different people, and some may be more savvy than others in terms of their ability to negotiate some of those points. When it comes to the lease itself, is it specific as to what the tenant can make? And what if they open up a side hustle or they open up something else on the property? Is there provisions or is it an automatic landlord owner of the property gets a piece of this? Or are they specifically denied that opportunity to open up a different business that is not under the triple net lease? The leasehold itself, as it's operated by the tenant, typically gives them the right, the tenant the right, to operate their business, whether it's a side hustle or, or not. They have the right to operate within the confines of that property. Now, if there is knowledge going in that they have more than one entity or more than one type of business going in there, then as a broker putting that lease together or as an owner, I would certainly look for some additional incentive to allow them to utilize parking lot or you know, if there's common area, some additional expenses that may be associated with that so that you can uh, realize some of the potential of that asset with their success of whatever that other operation is. We do run into businesses that have billboards, for example, or they'll have a kiosk on site, you know, an ATM or a flower store, or a coffee store or, or something like that. So that would be defined in terms of their ability to do those types of auxiliary businesses on site and whether the landlord would, would be compensated for it. But as a general rule, the tenant has a right to operate a business on that property and they have uh, the freedom to do those other kinds of things. Um, and the landlord approval is usually defined within that lease context and it varies depending on who negotiated the lease. 
let's just say that in a common area, like common parking lot, they start moving into the parking lot, whether it be as a result of restrictions on the state and local level, or they're just going to be suddenly put up a tent and put it out in the parking lot. Is that permitted under the general acceptance of a triple net lease or not? When you're dealing with a triple net lease, and and oftentimes we have triple net leases that are out parcels to malls or they're, uh, you know, associated with properties that are behind them, or there might be reciprocal easement agreements with adjacent developments. Usually in those operating agreements, whether it be a reciprocal easement agreement or uh, an association, that defines your ability to use that common area. And typically you are restricted from use of that common area for any individual owner, with the exception of there might be carve outs for you know, holiday sales or temporary, uh, you know, parking lot sales or, or things of that nature, balloons, advertising. Sure. Those things are usually allowed to some extent, but minimized within the guidelines of whatever that agreement is that, that ties them together. A lot of my listeners are business owners. This is a business show. And so many of them not only are, as I mentioned earlier in the show, tenants, but they're also landlords. Let's say that you are the landlord and the lease is coming up for renewal. What's the best strategy to keep a tenant in? Do you go after them or do you sit and wait for them to come after you? That's a great question. I do a lot of lease workouts for clients. People hire me to engage with their tenants on getting lease extensions. Many, many of the leases that are out there will have options. Now, the options on the lease term are for renewals and they are the tenant's option. So they're pre-negotiated where if the tenant is happy with the business and and accepting of the rents, they can just exercise. And there will be a, a leading period before that lease expires where they'll have to notice the landlord regarding the desire to use that option. Often the tenant will come to the landlord and say, oh, you know, we want to stay here and it's great, but, you know, we're, we'd like to get a little break on the rent. I think it's as a tenant, I can fully understand their desire to, you know, try to negotiate and improve their position just as a good business practice. On the other side, as a landlord, you know, you have a space where you're, you know, have the ability to go get certain rents and there is an advantage to keep your tenant in place because there typically are, are no leasing commissions and there are tenant improvements and, and, and other things that would come into play if you retenanted that property. So there is an economic advantage for a landlord to keep a tenant in place, especially if you have a good operating history with that tenant at that location. So I'm typically, if I don't hear from a tenant and I know the business is doing very well, I may let that sit because it's a bit of a poker match where you you <laughs> have the idea of how that they're gonna they're gonna perform. But in with a lot of the national tenants, you know, as a landlord, I think a proactive approach is prudent in that, you know, oftentimes we'll go to them and we'll give them some sort of economic incentive. And reason being, you know, by foregoing a rent increase or reducing a, a rent increase or rent structure or the the number of increases or paying for some tenant improvements that give you a longer or new lease term adds value ultimately to the market and and saves you money long-term with having to replace that tenant. So in the case where, you know, a family or a, a company has owned a property for some time and they're at the end of that lease, I think we have an economic opportunity to extend that lease and create value, particularly before a sale. 
And we, we've done that in a, in a variety of fashions. I recently have done it with Bank America and, and Hardee's and sauna hamburgers and drugstores and things like that. So when I have a, an ownership that will come to me, um, I think it's justifiable that, you know, to, to negotiate to some degree and whether that business has been timely on its rent payments and it's fulfilled its obligation as doing a good business would, I think, come into consideration as far as the, the landlord's concerned. Well, we've been talking about consideration as well here on the five key points to a triple net investment property. And this has been Paul Bonanno from the Net Lease Realty Properties. And Paul, we've run out of time on this, but if our listenership is listening intently to this and you'd like your five key points to a successful triple net investment property, well, you know where to go, bizsoup.com, where business comes for business for your five key points for a successful triple net investment. Paul, I know we're going to have you come back for another serving of business soup as it pertains to the real estate industry and commercial applications. And we will look for you on the other side. Paul, thanks for being on this serving of business soup. Thank you, John. Much appreciated. This has been another serving of business soup where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.